butter your toast over breakfast, you might spare a thought for Otto Rohrwedder. Not exactly a household name, but his innovation, sliced bread, has certainly become one. But it wasn't always that way. Although it recently celebrated its 100th birthday, sliced bread didn't get off to the easiest start in life. Otto had thought long and hard about the possibilities of pre-sliced bread. After all, slicing a loaf with a knife took time and effort, and if the loaf was stale and the knife blunt, it could even be dangerous. So in principle, people might value a more convenient alternative. But exploiting this potential posed some big problems at the technical level. Once it's sliced, bread quickly becomes hard, so an early challenge was finding ways to keep the slices pressed together to preserve their softness. He experimented with all sorts of ingenious solutions, like holding the bread together with hat pins or rubber bands, but these weren't always practical. And then, in 1917, disaster struck. His warehouse burned down, taking his prototype machine and all the blueprints with it. Down, but not out, he set about recreating his work, and ten years later filed a patent on his improved machine, which, amongst other features, solved the freshness problem by wrapping the sliced loaf in waxed paper. He set up the Mac Row Company to launch his great idea, only to see it arrive with more of a whimper than a bang on the marketplace. The bakers, to whom he tried to sell it, were underwhelmed. They thought the machine too complex for everyday production. It was bulky and took up precious space, and they weren't convinced of the need anyway. Teetering close to the edge of bankruptcy, he persuaded a local baker, Frank Bench, to invest and install the first machine. And so, on July the 7th, 1928, the first loaf of commercially sliced bread was produced by the Chirikov Baking Company of Missouri and sold under the brand name Clean Made. And while bakers had been sceptical of the benefits, local families in the Midwest were much more enthusiastic. As a review in the local newspaper, the Constitution Tribune put it, So neat and precise are the slices, and so definitely better than anyone could possibly slice by hand with a bread knife, that one realises instantly that here is a refinement that will receive a hearty and permanent welcome. Within two weeks, bread sales from the bakery had increased by 2,000%. And the idea began to take off across the country. Two years later, the New York-based Continental Baking Company began using Rohrvedder's machines to build an entire business around sliced bread. Their product, Wonder Bread, and the accompanying marketing campaign helped lift awareness to a high level. By 1933, almost every bakery in the United States had a slicing machine, and 80% of the bread produced in America was sliced. Sliced bread became such an important part of US household life that when, during the war years, the government sought to ban it as a way of conserving paper, it prompted an impassioned letter to the New York Times. I should like to let you know how important sliced bread is to the morale and saneness of a household. My husband and four children are all in a rush during and after breakfast. Without ready sliced bread, I must do the slicing for toast, two pizzas for each one, that's ten, 
For their lunches, I must cut by hand at least 20 slices for two sandwiches apiece. Afterwards, I make my own toast. 22 slices of bread to be cut in a hurry. Within a month, the ban was lifted and sliced bread remained a core feature of household life, spreading its way around the world. All very interesting, but what's it got to do with innovation? Well, plenty, as any aspiring entrepreneur will recognise. Think of the situation. You finally made it. After months of struggle, wrestling with a thousand and one technical problems, balancing the resources you need, juggling the plates, finally you get to launch. So you could be forgiven for thinking you've earned the right to relax, step back, perhaps hold back an opening on the champagne, but at least enjoy the sense of achievement. You've created something, moved it from a gleam in the eye to a reality. Except that the journey isn't over. You're only halfway there. The next big challenge is moving to scale, persuading others to adopt your great new thing. And that can be where the trouble starts. Diffusion to scale is one of the thorniest problems in innovation, whether we're talking about a startup looking to grow or an established business trying to launch a new product. It's worth reminding ourselves that most new product launches fail and one of the big hurdles at which they fall is the move from launch to widespread adoption. And it's as true of process innovations as products and services. New methods and techniques are often very slow to spread. Think of the quality revolution which characterised manufacturing in the 20th century. The original ideas were developed and proved way back in the 1920s, but it wasn't until 50 years later that their impact began to be seen in Japan, and 20 more years after that before they became commonplace around the world. And it's the same with social innovation. The world is full of wonderfully big-hearted people who develop something which might make the world a better place in some way. The trouble is that for most of these, the idea never spreads. In the world of humanitarian innovation, this gap is particularly acute. Despite urgent needs, most innovations fail to make it beyond successful pilot stages. And it's at the heart of change management, essentially an innovation diffusing into an internal market. Getting people to accept new techniques, technology, working patterns isn't always easy. It may not be as extreme as the early Luddites who smashed the incoming new machines as a protest in their factory, but resistance to change can take many forms. The road to successful implementation is paved with the wreckage of failed attempts. So understanding what influences adoption and diffusion would probably be helpful. The good news is that we have a wealth of research to draw upon. And if we're smart, we can reverse engineer some of those findings to try and stack the deck in our favour. Let's start with some facts. First, diffusion isn't instantaneous. Even wildly successful new things take a finite amount of time to spread. The pattern typically follows an S-curve, a pattern which is easily explained by thinking about the process. First of all, a few people adopt. Perhaps they're the only ones that know about it, or they've got a higher tendency towards taking risks. Whatever, they're followed by others, and the groundswell begins to build. And eventually we're left with a flattening slope as we approach 100% adoption. Or not. 
because, as we've said before, many innovations fail to diffuse. The second thing is that diffusion isn't about a predictable rate of change, a standard time-based process. The slope of this S-curve depends on many factors, and we can use our understanding of these to help give our innovation a better chance of successfully diffusing. At this point, it helps to turn to the work of one man, Everett Rogers. He didn't invent diffusion studies. People had been working on the question for at least a hundred years. But what Rogers did was to study many different kinds of innovation and look for patterns. And being a sociologist, his model had a lot to do with people and the way they interact. He saw diffusion in terms of a communication, an innovation, the message, being transmitted from a source, the innovator, to a receiver, the adopter. And then he looked at the different factors which might influence that process. Using this powerful framework helps us understand why Otto's sliced bread innovation spread so quickly. One important set of influences on adoption concerns how we perceive the new thing, the message in Roger's model. Bakers weren't very impressed. They saw little relative advantage to the new idea. But the families of Chillicot loved the convenience. No knife needed, no crumbs, just fresh bread, fast and easy. These benefits were clear to see, and the observability effect meant that word of mouth quickly accelerated interest in the novelty. This underlines Roger's belief that diffusion is very much a social communication process. And there's not a lot of risk attached to buying a loaf of bread, so the idea of trialability helped speed up adoption. Complexity is another factor. If people see the new thing as too complicated, they're unlikely to adopt. Otto worked through many prototypes around keeping the bread fresh, realising that using pins or rubber bands would be too fiddly. In the end, the apparently simple solution of using waxed paper helped make the presentation of the final product as something simple and easy to use. But he also stressed the similarity to other familiar household items. After all, People were already comfortable with the idea of pre-ground coffee or sliced bacon. Now, a big rock on which many innovations founder is that they don't fit easily into the world of the adopter. Otto understood this idea of what Rogers called compatibility, and he made sure he did his research carefully. His bread wasn't simply the result of an idea dreamed up in the shower. He'd used a questionnaire survey of about 30,000 housewives to establish what they would want in a sliced loaf. This gave him key information. For example, what were the features people associated with a fresh-baked loaf and, crucially, the exact thickness of bread that they would prefer? Innovations also change as they diffuse, building on lessons learned contributing ideas to help modify them and improve their acceptability over time. This process of innofusion was certainly at work with sliced bread, with bakers contributing their own improvements and modifications. For example, the second machine installed was in St. Louis, where Gustav Papendick solved the problem of keeping the slices together long enough to allow the loaves to be wrapped. Using a cardboard tray enabled him to use a mechanised wrapping machine which considerably increased speed, a useful thing given what quickly became significant demand for sliced bread. Otto also timed his innovation well. 
People's lives were becoming increasingly stressed and the idea of convenience foods was beginning to take off. Faith in industrialized products was high and it's not surprising that this idea was born in the United States, a place where there was considerable enthusiasm for new gadgets. So, next time you unwrap your sandwiches, you might also find some food for thought in there. Whether you're trying to launch your new product or service, or speed the introduction of a new piece of process technology, or guide through a new organisation structure, there are probably several crumbs of value in looking at diffusion theory. Mm -hmm.